You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make Yeah. I love it. The way doing anything with you is always so much fun because, like, uh, the way you communicate is so much easier to me than most people. Like, whenever I get a text message or an email from you, it's the most direct thing in the world. <laughs> You're aware that you do that? Yeah, yeah. It's tell me it's, about that. It's, oh, it's like because it's, if I get an email from you, it's nine or ten words. I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's not. It's, it's nothing about. It's, it's like it's like the opposite of small talk, which I hate. Small talk and social stuff, and you well, know. you know, I think it's. I actually love small talk, and I like I, I love so, social settings and things like that. But mm-hmm. when I email, I just don't like to dick around. Mm-hmm. I just basically I look at email as a way to c- communicate. And to the point, you know? Yep. And so I also have, you know, I get hundreds of emails a day. So mm-hmm. I'm shooting through them. I'm like, yes, no, don't do it. Right. Don't overspin yeah. on this music video. <laughs> I told you not to do this. What is it about this last email that I said that, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, so I kind of communicate that way. Um, but, you know, I have written a page long email before. It's yeah. very well, rare. I don't know if it has to do with being <laughs> successful or important or whatever, but, you know. I, well, you're flattering me now. Well, Thank you. Well, but, I, but that's what I noticed. The, the, per, the people that I deal with that are, I don't know a good way to say this. I'm not trying to flatter you, but the people that are higher up on any food chain email more that way. Wouldn't well, you, they're probably just getting that? a lot of emails and they're trying to make quick decisions, yeah. right? So I remember once I, I um, when we moved into the, the Tooth & Nail Records has now moved like six times over mm-hmm. the last 23 years. But when we moved into our real cool office on Queen Anne in Seattle, I wrote this page email about how I wanted the office to flow and how to treat the new furniture. Mm-hmm. I just spent a bunch of money on the build out. And I actually wrote a page long email and rewrote it like two times that night. And then uh-huh. I had my assistant correct my grammar and spelling. <laughs> and I sent it off. And I had three of my employees emailed me back and said, did you write this? They didn't even believe it. Because it wasn't a It's just style. they've never even seen me do that. And they're like, oh, you actually can write like an articulate, like, you know, well-written mm-hmm. email. And I'm like, yeah, it took me like five hours. And I actually had to think about it. But, you know, normally I'm just shooting off like, you know, one sentence yeah. here or there. Some people love it. People that are type A's love it because they just want to, you know, and there's people I work with in the business world that are way worse than I am, you know. But if you're like, you know, sensitive, pon- <laughs> sensitive right, right. ponytail man yeah. or whatever, you're just not into it, you know. Yeah, I, mean? I, I totally. So it just depends who you are, and yeah, you know. Yeah, and you can some people you can't get away with that if you're you know the new intern. You can't email people that way. You have to do what you, you know. But being concise is a skill, and it's important regardless. Okay, I'm going to tell you a funny story about this. Just popped in there. Go for it. All right, so. In 2001, EMI bought half of Tooth & Nail Records. Mm -hmm. And we had this relationship where we were the creative... I was the creative guy in the front, and Uh I ran the whole company and signed all the artists, and they were doing all the back-end stuff. So they were doing all the accounting and human resources Mm -hmm. and taxes and manufacturing, and and they would basically kind of control the money. 
So their accounting department uh, was super touchy feely, mm-hmm. and it's been so many years now. And this seems counterintuitive for an accounting department. I know, but it was uh, Capital Christian Music Group. You know, uh-huh. EMI Christian. They're nice, super sweet people. But I would shoot them off these like one sentence emails, like "Where is my report?" You know, or "Where is yep. this?" or "Where is that?" I need the numbers. You said you were going to send this yesterday, or you know, <laughs> and. Um, <clears throat> Oddly enough, at one point I came out to Nashville to have a, me- a meeting, mm-hmm. and you know we're selling millions of records at this time, millions. And I actually got pulled into Human Resources, and they said that my candor like the email <laughs> was really bad, and so they were giving me a warning. I'm like, can you give me a warning? I mean, I don't even think I you can, can fire me. I own half the company. <laughs> How do you know? And by the way, wh- where is the proof? Get, get so they up? produce these emails where it's literally nothing. It's like. There's just nothing bad about it. There's no profanity. There's no rudeness. It's just short. So the next, I flew back and I was super pissed, you know, but I'm like trying to keep it together. And I'm like, you know, these guys, da 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 da, in my mind. So Jim Worthen, who's my number two still to this day at the company, I wrote an email to the head of accounting and I kind of joked around about it. Like I, to me, it was a joke, but uh, I said, greetings in Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How was your weekend? I heard you ran a marathon. Godspeed. I hope you did well. Um, I know you're busy and you guys are working hard over there, but just so you know, I still haven't gotten the you know X report. Right. I don't want to tell you the official name or whatever. Report, and I would love to get it at your earliest convenience. God bless, mm-hmm. Brandon. And I wrote it and I CC Jim, and Jim comes in my office and goes, that is, you, that is so inflammatory. They yeah. are going to be so pissed, right? They write back and they're like, thank you so much. Oh, Human resources your, your called me and said, Brandon, you are, that's so great. You're on the right track. And you were just joking. Totally. I was throwing it in their yeah. face and they, they, they thought that's how they want me to communicate. Wow. It's like, there's no way I could communicate like then this. You, I would have For every email. one that had a, a paragraph preamble and then the question. But there was a lot of detail in that I asked about, you know. Yeah, some pretty you know what, what happened in your weekend. I knew about it. I did a little Ugh. research, you know. But I don't know. It's just kind of funny. It's well, like it, uh, it ha- I mean, I don't know if if that is going to get better or worse with where communications at. Like, I I just don't I don't know if it's millennials or people in enti- people entitled. You think that's on the rise with people be, need to be more taken care of? But at the same time, our communications are getting shorter and text. So and much info, like right? Yeah, I have no idea. Which way it's going to go, you know? I yeah, have no idea. I, I don't, I've been doing the speech to text a lot because I'm real bad at typing. I hate it. Yeah. You know, and that's why I like what you do so much. I'm like, ooh, short email. <laughs> I'll send them a short one back, and that's that. I don't so have, I just it, did the new iPhone. So I just did the, the new iPhone update, and it's, it's pretty cool because like, you get a phone message, and it translates. It transcribes it? Yeah, it transcribes it. I mean, sure, there was already an app for all that, but yeah. like, you know. I'm way ahead of everybody on that because I've I t- turned my voicemail off seven years ago. I haven't gotten a voicemail in seven years. I know you told me that when you I were love it. when you were trying to get me to do the the the, the podcast, <laughs> the Bad Christian podcast. I was like, I called you back and like no voicemail. Don't yeah, yeah. There's no voicemail. The voicemail is the most ridiculous technology we still have around. I don't even understand it at all. Nobody likes it, uses it, wants it, but everybody's afraid to not have it. Like you're gonna miss something unbelievable, but you're not going to. Turn I always think it's interesting off. too because the new iPhone. Like I don't know how they store the messages, mm-hmm. but you know it'll say that I have like fifty messages, right? Yeah. And I'll, I've listened to them. I don't want to delete them because I think I'm going to go back or whatever. But there'll be people where their mailbox is full. So, I mean, how many messages do they have? Like 300 of them in there? Or, you know, or they just probably don't right. know how to delete. So, they've just never deleted. Yeah, they've people never, are paranoid. They've never listened. They never deleted. Yeah. No. So. It's never anything good. <laughs> I'm a voicemail. It just never is. I don't think it's any good at all. 
So how, uh, you know, so I want to talk about the EMI stuff. That whole thing is neat. But, um, I mean, you've, you've been through a whole bunch of different stuff, starting from super independent to getting so big to selling half your company to EMI and then back separate, separated from EMI now. Mm-hmm. And so a, as a now, like, uh, what are you doing day in and day out? Like, where are you, what are you doing? Uh, like, what's your role now, now that you have Tooth & Nail back? It's independent. What's your life like now? It's a lot more relaxed, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I'm, it's back to kind of like where it was in the 90s where, you know, we can kind of make any decision we want quickly, mm-hmm. move fast. You know, if we want to sign a new artist and give them money, you know, you could do it in three or four days or two days or yeah. five days instead of like however long it used to take with a major label. Um, so we're having a lot more fun. We're signing lots of bands that we just love and mm-hmm. we're not, you know, worried about trying to get a certain sound or this or that. And um, it's, yeah, we're having a blast. It's a good time. So, yeah, it seems like it's, it's obviously way. a whole different era. Yeah. You know, when we started Tooth and Nail in the 90s, it was definitely a different vibe than it is now. So, yeah. Um, but it's still fun. I'm still having fun doing it, and I enjoy it a lot. So, what what do you uh, do? You like to, or how? How about this? This is what people ask me all the time. It's like, how do you find new bands? You know, like it's so weird because everything comes from somebody you know, or this, or that, whatever. But I don't think people have a fundamental understanding of how does a band get the attention of you. I know some people that I know well that know that I know you. And I feel like they just want me to tell you about them. You know what I, I mean? mean? Like everybody thinks it's a matter of of this or that. But we have zero systems set up in place. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be uh, and the major labels. It works usually. Their head A and R guy has tons of scouts, but they also have the big lawyers. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the lawyers in the big labels, like you know Universal Records and so forth, the big time lawyers go out and they're almost like their A and R, right? They go out and find groups, get a bidding war going. It's a whole nother level, yeah. right? Um, but for, for Tooth and Nail, you know, I have my team. I have Connor Farley in Nashville, and I have Adam, um, and I have Tyson, and, mm-hmm. you know, I keep my ear out as well. And then, you know, you find out so many different ways. You could find out just because, I mean, the norm would probably be a manager that we know brings yep. us a group. So it's almost always some connection to someone. Or a lawyer, but also definitely, like, one of our artists will call us from the road and say, hey, this group that just opened for us is actually yeah. like really good. But it's not like you're getting emails or mails or just going to random clubs to look at bands and see what they sound like. Yeah, I mean, you might read about one if there's a story on somebody or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, usually if someone just shoots you a random email and says, here's my mm-hmm. kid's demo or like, you know, I was at church this Sunday and I saw this group. Yeah. I mean, that's just very rare. Almost yeah. impossible. Well, people think about it. People like to say it's who you know, but that's not really what it is because like I said, I know people but that doesn't mean that there were that that even if you know people, it had those managers that are sending stuff onto you or the bands on the road. Even if they know people, there's tons of people they know that they're not calling you about all day, every day, right? Right. How many bands do I know? A million. How many do I call you about? Almost none ever, right? Because <laughs> you you have to also be good and know people and meet people, kind of thing. But you know, I think it's probably harder than ever now for a band to like. Make it like, did you used to sign bands because you thought they were just good? And then at some point it started to be, well, they need to be good and look good and have X social media numbers and like all that goes into, yeah, the all that stuff. Now. Yeah. And especially did when you sell, and when you that way though, well, yeah, when you sell to a major label like in a one, you 
all of a sudden I had pressure and I had expectations, right? Yeah. So I started like thinking like, what can I do to get a hit? And I never thought of that in the 90s. Yeah. Like I just thought, I like this band. I think they're cool. It'd be mm -hmm. cool if they could get heard. But back then it was very hard. You know, I had a radio show in college and we played cassette tapes of like demos of cool bands. And like you just couldn't get the word out. Now anybody can pop up. Yeah. A SoundCloud or you know whatever it is they're going to use Facebook and the list goes on and on. Um, just pop up your own album on Spotify if you want. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, this day and age, it's easy to put out. It's easier. I mean, you still want to make a good record, but you can, you know, it's easier to record your own music and put out it, put out your music and try to get follow, you know, get a following going. Mm -hmm. You can do your own YouTube. So, video. but so you, you gauge do. it. I mean, when do you remember it becoming? Well, a lot of times like, people will say, "Hey, this band's really good," right? And you go look at it, and it's like, well, they have like three thousand Facebook likes. You know, yeah, our other group has a million. So yeah. it's like they obviously have zero groundswell. Yeah, they sound good, but it's also easier to sound good because you can just edit everything. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, are they really good? You know? Yeah. So like, you know, there's a process there where you're like, man, everyone really likes this record, but they have no Facebook likes. Or let's they have no let's YouTube slim those views. numbers down a little bit. Let's let's get real. <laughs> three thousand Facebook likes. It, you, you hear the music and you think it's good, but you go, well, I must be missing something because other people must not think right, it's good. Right, but then, you can, then they might say they've only played two shows. True. It's like just starting. Yeah, so you got to weight those factors. But yeah, a band yeah. that's been around a little while. I is, saw, I've what, signed bands tell that Tell me 10, what real, 10, realistic, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. What is a, of a, what is an actual benchmark of Facebook likes? I know that's an arbitrary thing, but let's, I honestly let's, don't, I honestly don't know. Like, I mean, you know, if there's a new artist and we think, wow, the lead singer's talented mm -hmm. and they actually wrote a lot of their own music, they don't have a lot of going, you know, they wouldn't get a very good offer from us. But if we loved them, we might give them a contract, but it would be like a long-term deal where we have a lot of rights because yeah. like we'd have to do everything. We'd have to build their Facebook likes and their YouTube and like yeah. we'd have to do their their website and we would have to literally develop them from ground zero. And, and, you and know, plan and, on losing money most and likely. And 80% of the time we lose time. money when we do that. So right. we do that less and less these days. But we have still done it, and sometimes it works, you know. But then uh, other times, of course, if there's a group that has a lot going on, then you have to give them a way bigger contract, mm -hmm. you know, and you have to compete with other people to try to sign them and so forth. Do you, you know? feel like those bidding war situations, do you feel like that, uh, do you have a sense about that, like I don't want to deal with that, or do you feel like it really sucks you it in? Just like, no, if you find uh, out somebody else is in I've overpaid. I've overpaid before, you know, and mm -hmm. like, I don't like to. Like, how do you check that human uh, fear of missing out instinct? Like, what's your, what do you use there? Is it a gut thing or a, like, because think about it, you know, some, if some it plays into people's egos, like, I want them, or now they want them, oh yeah, you're going to get pay this, I'm going to pay this. Like, is it hard not uh, to fall into that? Yeah, a little Especially bit. Especially when you're backed by somebody like EMI, I imagine. Yeah, but they were like conservative too, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Every deal is different. You know, it could be something where the A&R guy in my company loves the group and they're like pushing me to do more. And I'm like, not that, you know, I've done that before where I'm like, I personally don't think it's going to work. <laughs> but I'm also trying not to work as much. I'm a workaholic, right? I've been doing this for 23 years, so I'm trying not to work as much. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you know, if you guys believe in it, I'll write the check you know, it's kind of like one of those. Like, but then is it, I told I you hope, so later, how's that go? Like, I don't really do that because there's been so many times they deliver too. Yeah. And like, yeah. if they said they told me so the reverse, then I would then reverse it back on them later. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. But like, yeah, I mean, I try not to do all that, you know. In the old days, I probably did some of that. I've definitely done that before mm -hmm. where I'm like, you know, 
I told you guys I don't want to do any more print advertising for four or five grand. Or you know, that was back in the day and crazy, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking. I was uh, last time I looked at print advertising. Relevant, relevant magazine wanted six thousand dollars for a half page. And I was but then like, they oh, like, but then they give you banner ads on their side. Thing. It's like a package. But yeah, it's expensive. It's so insane. How, how like here's the thing that I think is really this is something I really respect about you and Tooth and Nail. I was talking about it on Bad Christian podcast. You go ahead and get up. I can talk. Um, I was talking about it on the Bad Christian podcast last night uh, that you guys and you specifically really are. Uh, I mean, a lot of music industries like notoriously slow. Uh, you know, kind of dinosaurs that don't adapt quickly at all. Like, the music industry is pretty bad about that in general. And I was bragging, because uh, uh, we were doing an ad for Fit for, Ki- Fit for a King last night, and I was just thinking, you guys have been advertising on our podcast so long, trying new things, doing different things, moving money to different places like podcasts and stuff like that. And a lot of other la- other labels just aren't, they're not there. They're not, it's okay. Other labels are not there. They're not doing it. They're scared to do anything different. And I think they're probably still paying for these goofy, expensive print ads and banner ads that don't even hardly work anymore. But you guys have been pretty adaptive on that. Um, yeah, I think that we've always tried to be innovative. I mean, we were the, this is an interesting stat. We are the second or third record label to ever have a website in like 95. Really? Yeah, when the web was just like, everyone thought it was just AOL.com, and we figured that out. We were the second or third record label to ever have a MySpace. And, um, yeah, I mean, back in those days, we were kind of the first to do a lot of stuff. You know, now not probably as much, but, you know, I, I quit doing print advertising years ago, though I will do one for, like, you know, AP. If it's big enough. If it's a big artist where we're going to... Sure. You know, if it's a band, we're going to have them warp tour or something. I'll do a physical ad. You right. Know? But it's like, it's just, it's expensive. And, you know, it's it's hard to know what you get. When yeah, you do Google Facebook measure. advertising or whatever, you see how many clicks you get or totally. whatever. You look at your YouTube channel. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to see, hey, there's a result. Which, of course, me running a, a, a company, I'm like, I like that. I like to see what the result is. Like, we paid this much. This is what we get. With print advertising, they say this is the circulation. and mm-hmm. But you always wonder, you know. And so, I mean, but also at the same time, print advertising, in the 90s was very important. We did full page ads oh, today. Totally. AP, HM. Yeah, it was a big deal. But there was no other way to get them in the word out, really. You know, I mean, there was. I mean, I spent $80,000 making a tooth and nail catalog that I phys- we physically mailed to like thousands yeah. of people, full color, and that was just crazy. That so, is crazy. Can you imagine today what you get for $80,000 like on <sighs> digital marketing? Like insane. A lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, could, let's do $80,000 of just generic tooth and nail catalog like advertising but it's so hard because everything is pushed to cheap 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 free sense like fractions on dollar like think about podcasts like this i if i just wanted to spend tens of thousands of dollars this would it, it would be the conversions on it are zero dollars though because it's a free download that's all the podcast is and music's a lot that way too but if you wanted to spend 50 grand you could get you know, like if I if I borrowed fifty grand from somebody or somebody donated it to me, I could pump this thing up huge. It would get seen by a lot of people. You could go so far, but even the the medium and what what it is itself is so low value. And and I guess a similar thing is streaming with music. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess you can collect that half cent or whatever it is. You know, that's yeah. it. For for it's so weird how low value music. The product is. I mean, it was like in 2003 and 2004, we were pushing out like the new Emory album, mm-hmm. The Question, right? And we were doing the new May album, Everglow. Yeah. And Norma Jean 
Remember we did that whole campaign? Totally. We spent so much money on that. And we would do an in-cap in Best Buy. And it would cost, Best Buy would charge us a $50,000 fee to put the CDs mm-hmm. on an in-cap. So then kids walk into the store and they're like, wow, what's this in-cap? You know, it's like you're buying space on Spotify that you cannot obtain oh, it to this huge. day. Yeah. But it costs so much money though. Like, and you're selling these 15 and $16 CDs. And to do that though, people were like, oh, $16, that's kind of a rip off to buy the oh, CD. Right. CDs but you spend three or $4 a CD in marketing to get the stores. You have to pay the stores to put them in a good position, right? Yep. Until it took off on its own or whatever. So, I mean, it was a lot of like, it's just a whole nother time now. Now there's way more competition. It's way cheaper to make records. Mm-hmm. Records sell less. So and, it's just, but, and the value that people put into them is so low. But it has changed. I mean, like it's kind of stabilized and recovered. I saw a thing today that said the music total music industry has grown eight percent this year. From the from the rock from, streaming, from the rock actually. from the rock bottom, yeah, mostly yeah. from streaming. And there are huge pop stars. I mean, top forty music yeah. right now. It's Taylor Swift, Drake, huge. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, it's just a different time. You know, it costs less to make records. It costs less to market the records. But then there's way more competition, and records sell overall less. I mean, there's not going to be. I mean, Adele actually scanned huge amount first week. I don't even know how she did that. But yeah. besides that, there's the weirdest thing. In 16 there. years, though, the biggest first week sound scan was in sync in 1999. It did like 2.1 million. Mm-hmm. I think Adele beat that, but. For 16 years, that was not broken. And besides Adele, nobody even comes close to doing that. I mean, there'll be a year where the biggest record in America sells like three or four million, totally. which, which used to be like all the time, you know? So what do you think? Where, uh, first of all, did you see the, the collapse of the music industry or the downturn, whatever it was? And what, what was it, 2007 or eight? time basically would you say did you see that coming at all yeah i did in 01 so i sold half my company in one to emi that was wade and then i went on to sell 15 million records and i was like why did i do that okay so um, so you thought but the internet would be the end anyway so you sold you yeah and i was kind of burnt out and yeah i was a little burnt out on it i was going through a little down phase so i just uh sold half the company to emi and you know and then then the internet really started blowing up but what we realized is like we were we would start giving away free music online, and that mm-hmm. would help us sell CDs. Right. So we would just give away songs, download them from our site. You know, this is kind of when MP3.com was right. starting, and but they couldn't figure out a model. There was Napster and those lawsuits, and they're suing kids, and like, so we just started giving away songs off our website. And EMI actually called me, their lawyer, and goes, "You can't give away music." We have that copyrighted. We have a company policy that we can't give it away. And we, I would we, like, listen to him for like 20 minutes on the phone, then hang up. And the next day, we would just do it again. <laughs> we just defied them. And like, we grew like 800% during that time because also because we were signing amazing bands, right? right. We were just signed Taste of the Day and Norma Jean and Emery and Thousand Foot Crutch mm-hmm. and all these groups, you know what I mean, that were just doing really, really well. May, Amber Lynn, like the list goes on, right? Under Oath, of course, right? And even cooler, smaller bands like 238 or whatever. Like, So we had all these cool bands, and at that exact moment, we also, all the rules had changed, and we could just throw out songs to the masses, and like, and then you know the testing came back. People loved it, and they would go out and buy the CD. So it was like kind of the perfect moment for us from 01 to like 08, yeah. where music 
was still valued in the CD format, but you could find, and if uh, the radio stations wouldn't play you, you could just go pop it up on your website and give it to people, and then they would go viral, and that was cooler. Mm-hmm. And that translated in the sales. Mm-hmm. But then after 08 and 09, then all of a sudden it just became brutal. And if you're owned by a major label, they had all kinds of restrictions, and they were trying to figure out what to do, you know, and uh, they couldn't move quick enough, and we were part of that, you know. We were a little bit, even though we tried to figure out our own way, we were still part of all that. So, well, the you know the the thing that was super bad, and that's the way I put it about Emory is, we ran into in two thousand eight, the music industry falling apart. Essentially, it just kind of totally fell apart all at the same time. Also, the economy itself fell apart. So, ticket sales and everything. You know, the whole economy and the money supply and people's discretionary and disposable income was gone. All And then at the same time, we, we made a record that was not the best record we could have made for the time period anyway. So it was like a triple down, down, down. But for Emory... Probably was not as good as the question. But there I said it. I get it. I understand that. But, uh, yeah. but in any case, I thought it was funny because the music industry plus the economy, even just those two things at the same time, what a t- crazy... Time that more. is, but now like, it's totally different. So we have a totally new economy now of music, and it's based in streaming. What do you think about streaming? Are you happy with where things have, you know, ended up? Well, in? you know, I mean, I mean, that's a kind I mean, of. You'd a rather CD still be seventeen bucks, right? <laughs> well, I think the business guy in me, yeah, of course, the business guy in me for sure would like to have CDs be at least thirteen or fourteen dollars, and have people want to value packaging mm-hmm. and. Uh, the CD in CDs, you know, but the music lover in me and the the entrepreneur in me that wants mm-hmm. artists to have a fair shake, which is why I started doing two things on the first place was to help these bands. In 1993, all the Christian labels were putting out, you know, mostly music that wasn't cool, but there were cool bands that had a Christian message or a Christian backdrop in their life that wanted to put out their music and they couldn't do it. And then the cool, normal general market labels or whatever wouldn't do it either. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of how I started, you know, and I found this niche and I had no idea how big the niche was. I just knew that I wanted that. So, you know, so fast forward to now, it's like, you know, it's a whole nother scale of everything. You know what I mean? So the music lover me loves Spotify and iTunes. I love that I can just say, Surrey, play the motels. Yeah. You know, from 1986 or whatever, and then it pops on there. You know, so I subscribe to three services. I subscribe to Tidal, Spotify, and iTunes. Uh-huh. I love it, but I also still buy. I buy vinyl. I have three record players. I've never not been buying vinyl. I've been buying vinyl. Had a record player in my office. Yeah, you've always house. been a vinyl guy. I've always been a vinyl guy. I've never stopped having a record player this whole time. It's like it's a resurgence, and I never quit. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool. I buy. I buy. I've, Purchased so many records for like 99 cents, you know, that are barely used, like in like 2001 and two that are worth like, you know, on eBay for like 50 bucks now. Not that I ever sell anything, but it's kind of funny, you know. Um, but yeah, just going back to all of it, I really love how I love streaming. I think they need to pay the labels and the artists and the publishers more. You know, all the major labels own part of Spotify. Yeah. Which is a whole yeah. nother subject I could talk about. But, um, so, I, mean, I think it's cool. Think it's I, fair to the label and the artist the way that you, let's just say, new Norma Jean just came out, right? Solid state release. Right. At How first, do we you weren't think gonna... about streaming with that. Do you, are you mad that people are going to stream it a ton and you wish they would go buy it? Or do you think, nope, we're going to pump up streaming? We're going to tell Norma Jean fans, 
put it on a playlist. We're Spotify crazy. Let's just do it. Let's embrace it. We've tried everything. We've tried different things. So it depends on the artist. But I remember when the last August Friends Red record came out that we put out, they scanned 27,000, but they had 350,000 streams that first week. Mm -hmm. So if 1% of those people would have bought it, that would have been, we would have had a 30,000 scan. But more people heard it and listened to it and gave it a chance. And maybe some of those people maybe would have bought it. First, though, yeah. Well, I kind of like the idea of like holding off from one to four weeks. Um, like when Coldplay came out, I went and I bought the vinyl, so then you get a stream with that anyway. But mm-hmm. um, I kind of like the idea of waiting a couple weeks, but yeah. also you know maybe your listeners will think that sucks because if they pay for Spotify or iTunes, they don't want to wait. You know, so I don't know. Um, I mean, who who in their right mind cannot say they like the idea that for $10 a month or just for radio, right. they can listen to all the music in the world? Are you kidding me? I mean, what am I supposed to say to that? Mm-hmm. I do think, though, that they need to pay the artists more, and I, I, wonder, I always wonder if it's totally legit or if they're just paying the top 40 the most. You know, who audits them? I don't understand yeah, really how it's, it works. It's be hard to I will say this, though. When it all went down and I was still partly owned by the majors... I was in the room pounding my fist wondering, like, why are you guys so into doing this? This makes no sense right now. I mean, you know, they're like, well, we got a big cash advance. You know, that was the first thing they'd say. And I was like, well, if you got a cash advance, where's my cash advance? You know, (laughs) I mean, you own half of my company. Where's my part of the advance? Well, you know, they try to talk around that or whatever. So then I was like, okay, well, then it comes out later just recently that they actually own part of Spotify. Yeah, the majors do. So they're like, "Yeah, we'll t- give us ten, twenty million up front. Plus, when it IPOs, we'll make tons of money." Mm-hmm. And then, meanwhile, they're only paying the artists on what streams come in. So, if an artist doesn't get paid a ton, it doesn't really matter because the major label, the labels paid. did get paid. The labels got paid, but they don't have to count to the artists, right? It'd be mm-hmm. like, "Hey, hey, Warner Brothers, um, well, hey, Universal Records, here's twenty million. I don't know what the numbers are. Here's ten or twenty million dollars." You pay the artists as they get paid. So, do you think they're going to really negotiate a great rate for the, themselves? They already got paid twenty million. Like mm-hmm. they just pocketed that, and they don't have to pay royalties on it because it's just their advance to own part of the company. Mm-hmm. And then whatever royalties they get later. Meanwhile, we're going to give you this fraction. It'll trust me. It'll work out in the long run. But yeah. Anyway, here's your upfront. But hey, if we get up to sixty million subscribers, everyone's going to make some cash. Yeah. But and the major labels all agree and then of course all the indies that's the new rate that's set you know and they they literally put their line in the sand they're like fine if ACDC if you don't and they are now but ACDC or you know if you don't want to come on no problem we'll just wait you out you know now ACDC's on there but the the bright side is at least it's a paid for thing though that's legitimate somehow and you know right. you can't beat them join them or something so music is the intellectual i mean i don't want to get real like Bad Christian, right? But it's like the intellectual like bitch of intellectual property. Uh-huh. Music is the intellectual bitch. Okay, <laughs> it is the low. I mean, I don't. That, maybe that's a bad way of saying it. It's the lowest on the totem pole, uh-huh. right? I mean, you think about movies that are pirated, video yeah. games. They got that pretty dialed, right? Yep. It's very hard to rip a video music game. is just music is the easiest thing. There's every, well, it's because everybody does. Like, who does and even with books, even with books, I mean. You know, people you can, pay for books. They pay for books. They love physical books. Still, they'll buy it on their Kindle. They, there's not like a bunch of moms in a book club that are like, "Let's do the secret download of yeah. the," you know, yeah, people we just dominated. Pay for books. I don't even think about. It. Do you you ever see uh, that? Do you ever see like 
I guess you know this, but book deals are so different. Like what they recoup and how much the artist gets is so such good deals. Like I've talked to publishers and book agents and people that have books, and man, those deals are so much better than music deals. Really, the ones I've seen are worse. Well, they well because people pay for it, so there's more money. So the uh, a lot of times the the author doesn't recoup the marketing money and all on all the stuff in the same way that they do with music but you know there's still the point is there's still money in the book, the book deals book, that i've seen sell, like, you sell 30, the, the book books, the book deals that i've seen the authors usually don't even have a lawyer and they have like 10% but then yeah it's just real they own their own <laughs> they own their own book but there's no real album budget right the, yeah. they write it Right, they give right, them right. an advance. They get a little. They license it for seven years, but they don't have to recoup all of the same costs and stuff that that they that you do with music. But anyway, your point totally agree. Music is looked at as it's of the lowest. You'll make music, and it sh- of course it should be free, and of course you'll do it for fun. But and it, hey, go play this gig for hundred dollars. Right? Why wouldn't you? You but if you but if you look person. at music through time, were there any millionaires in the eighteen hundreds and seventeen hundreds and sixteen hundreds and fifteen hundreds doing music? Mm-mm. I mean, I don't even know if all like Mozart was rich. Maybe I, I don't know the history. Of I, I don't think so. I think they were they had patrons and they were taken care of, and somebody funded them. It's like a right. nonprofit. So if you were a musician in the eighteen hundreds in some like bar yeah. in the, you know, in, you know, I, I mean, you know what I mean. So this, so the craziness that happened from the nineteen fifties and forties, really mm-hmm. more like actually the nineteen sixties and seventies until now. As this is amazing time in the history of humans that we that people are like these pop stars that can f- sell yeah. out Seahawks Stadium and right yeah well, yeah there's yeah. been a lot of benefit I mean people like me have never been able to make money doing what I wanted to do ever until yeah not so, in the 90s even like so it, to, so to me I'm high on music you know will there be it's like the long tail I think there'll be more people make having a career doing music because mm-hmm. of technology the record labels will make less some of the artists will make less they'll still be the Drakes and the Taylor Swifts of the world um will they sell like 50 million Michael like Michael Jackson 50 million albums at 16 dollars no they won't probably wow. not. That's just not going to happen. Insane. Yeah. yeah, it's insane to even think about it that way. I mean, ACDC's Back in Black album sold 15,000 physical copies a week from night, um, well, sold way more than that from eight, like 1980 to 84 or five. But then after that, it sold 15,000 copies a week all the way until like 1998. Crazy. And it wasn't even on the Billboard Top 200 because after the Billboard Top 200, after two or three years, I think you would. F- fall out of that but mm-hmm. there was another page in billboard magazine that just said recurrence and it was always number one every Crazy. single ba- yeah for a decade i mean it's what? like they sold like 30 million Back worldwide in black. yeah well that's insane think about how much money i mean you were talking yeah. like you know gazillions of dollars like well that's funny because i always when i talk about sells more than records, most of the beatles records yeah so. when i talk about records that sell forever i think i always look at the metallica's black album so black back in black and metallica's black album they just sell every week still today. still to this day still because yeah. people that buy that buy cds you know like the, yeah. the demographics still cd buying people even you know yeah and they just keep on. I've basically officially quit buying CDs. I buy vinyl though mm-hmm. now. And w- what's great is since I've already, I never gave up on vinyl. There's more. Everyone's putting out vinyl now, which is nice. So if it's an artist I really love, I'll buy it on vinyl and then mm-hmm. I'll listen to my my streaming for the rest. You know. Yeah. So. No shame in that. I think it's totally good. I I say embrace is, it. Yeah. Reggie's out. He's, is Reggie going to be on the? You microphone. might hear the dog snoring. The dog know, snoring behind me. It's not me. <laughs> The, um, it is not me. Did I saw some last week? 
or a couple of weeks ago, a letter about somebody from Victory Records. I was just thinking that was crazy. I wanted to ask you about. Did you ever run in with? Did you see that letter that a former employee of Victory wrote? <clears throat> no, isn't there a bunch of stuff though? About yeah, Victory? but you know, Tony, he's always had a bunch of stuff. But there was a big letter that somebody wrote. I was wondering if you read that or if you ever had any run-ins with Tony Brummel. Um, you know, I never. <clears throat> um, I've had two, two or three encounters with Tony. First time was in. Um, in France, I think Needham, France, if that was what it was called in the 90s, I was there with a booth at this uh, international conference and with Hopeless Records, and we were sharing a booth. And he came up to me, and SoundScan had just come out. This is like in actually 95, 96. So SoundScan, for those of you who don't know what SoundScan is, SoundScan shows how many records you sell a week. So yeah. it's, it's, it used to be connected to barcodes. So if you were at Best Buy and you sold a CD and it scanned, it would go up into a computer system. Mm-hmm. But now it's also, of course, digital, which is very easy to keep track of. Um, so he came up to me and he goes, shakes my hand and kind of gets real close to me and goes, nice, nice MXPX sound scans, man. <laughs> and I was like, hey. And he was like, my name's Tony Brummel. I have Victory Records. And I was like, cool. I love Strife and some of these bands that he had or whatever. And um, <clears throat> he was real nice to me. And then I talked to him once about Hatebreed at some CMJ thing real quick. And he was nice. And um, then we had a little bit of a run in one time where uh, August Burns Red had one of his bands sing backup vocals on their album, and they never told us, or the band on Victory never told Tony. So he, we, I heard about it in some company meeting, and I go, you, I told the A&R guy, John Dunn, who's mm-hmm. in Demon Hunter, <clears throat> um, I go, you need... You need to send Tony a waiver that allows his artist to be on our records because he's an animal. Like you know, he's he'll yeah. he will not like that. Like, <laughs> and um, so he sent him this waiver, and he writes back to John and says, "Well, if you take three of our new Christian bands, I guess they have Christian bands on Victory. I had no idea." He goes, "If you take three of them on tour, I'll sign off on this." <laughs> so I go, John, obviously just take the, you know, the, the album hadn't come out yet. So we just said, we'll just take it off the record then. Just take them off. I don't even remember who it was, but I think they were pretty big, you know. And I get an email from Tony. I haven't talked to him in years. And he's like, Brandon, your A&R guy's out of line. Um, you know, you want to put my, you guys recorded my artists without telling me. And I, all I want is a simple favor. And I'm like, Tony. We don't manage our bands. I can't make my bands go on tour with your band. You know, one of my big Christian bands. I can't make one of my big Christian bands take your bands on tour. That's what he wanted. I don't know if mm-hmm. I said that right. And so then he gets this email from the ba- the band on his label that's like pissed, right? Writing him a big page email. And um, I he forwards me that email. He goes, "Now I'm the bad guy," <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> So I wrote him back a real nice email. I go, dude, I respect you. You're like, you know, an innovator. And I go, but it's no skin off my back. If you don't want your artist to be on my, my band's album, if you don't want to give him permission, we just won't do it. Won't but do if it. but if you want to do it, and luckily we hadn't put out the record. It would have been like a, yeah, a show, that. right? It would have been crazy. I go, but I mean, you know, August Runs Red has sold hundreds of thousands of records, so it's good exposure for both. And I'll give you victoryrecords.com and credit. But, you know, all they do is sing some backup vocals and they're friends and they tour together. So why not just let them be on it? But if you don't want to, that's fine. I'll just take them off. I'm not going to force my band's to right. take your bands on tour, I don't manage them. I don't have control over my bands like that, nor do I want to. Yeah. <clears throat> so he signed it, and then he wrote, 
in protest on the on the waiver. And so I had to ask my lawyer, what's that mean? They go, it just doesn't mean it means that he signed off. It doesn't matter if he's that doesn't hold up in court, you know. But you know, the bottom line is I don't know too much about Tony. I know that like he's been sued many, many times. I do have a respect for anybody that uses their own money to go start a record label um, and sell millions of records. Mm -hmm. I think he's a great marketer. I don't know. I know that all kinds of people don't think that he's done right by them. And I just, you know, I think this lawsuit, he's in a lawsuit right now, right? That's still, I, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it seems <clears> like he's always in lawsuits kind of thing from, from what I get. Yeah. Here. <laughs> so here's the thing. I can only judge people from my dealings with him. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, he was a little hyperactive about this one little thing. And of course I've heard stories and I've read a few things here and there, but I'm not going to get into it because it's not really any of my business, you know? Mm -hmm. So, obviously, he's a um, a character. Yeah, 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 for sure. I thought that I thought that was real funny. So, um, you you have a really uh, people ask me a lot about uh, tooth and nail and what, what it was like on tooth and nail. Was it that people get this weird thing about labels, and it, maybe it comes from people like Tony, where they think labels are heavy handed. They make you change your lyrics and do all this stuff. And I tell people all the time. Oh, no, no, no. Brandon and those guys, they just, they'll let you do whatever you want to do. At worst thing they could ever say is, hey, if you're going to do this really crazy idea and do this really weird record or song or whatever it is, then we won't be able to like spend as much money on it. But that's it. But people have this weird impression that people like you are super heavy handed and <coughs> in the studio and telling people what they can and can't say and helping them with their songs and telling them not to write this or whatever. How do, I mean, is that, you know, why do you think that is that people feel that way? And how, I mean, how do you ever, well, do you know, I mean, is that a bummer to feel like people think you do that kind of stuff when you just don't? Well, in 23 years of doing this, you know, we have, we have Salt State Records, which is our heavier record label, mm -hmm. of course, right? We have Tooth and Nail, and then we have BC, which is our more Christian radio label. And, uh, and we've always tried to help the artists where they're at, right? Uh -huh. So the Supertones were a band that wanted to go up and preach on stage, and we helped them get on Christian radio and help them get on Christian tours and helped them where they were. Mm -hmm. MXPX, on the other hand, was going on tour with No Doubt and... Blink-182, and we marketed them that way. So we've always just tried to help the artists and tell the artists what they, you know, guide them how they could, you know. Um, we were always very cutting edge in the 90s, but yes, we are we we are a label that is a Christian backdrop, and in the 90s, most of our records were sold in Christian bookstores. So you're not going to be able to sell an album in Christian bookstores that has profanity or anything like that. You know, the first time we ever had profanity on a record though, comically was our sixth record we ever put out sometime Sunday. Yes. Yeah. Had a secret track. We had Mikey on uh, the podcast and he talked about it. Uh, he did. Yeah. Track. And he had a secret track. And at the very end he said the S word. And so we had to go back and remanufacture the CDs, but a lot of people never caught it. Cause it was like this ramp, yeah. this hidden track, this rambling. I was actually on that too. He had a phone message for me on there or whatever. He had this goofy hidden track. That's like when people were messing around with CD right. technology. Like, you can have a track book. Track 69. Track 69, <laughs> yeah, or a track behind the first yeah, track. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've had artists, you know, it's just, I mean, you know, oddly enough, this year we have like four artists that have profanity on their albums. Which well, is you kinda... preempted my next question. I wanted to ask you, your for instance... How does it work when King's Kaleidoscope <clears throat> says fuck on their album? Well, 
So, so Norma Jean. Tell me that story. So Norma Jean has profanity on their album, I believe, Mm -hmm. and then Kings, of course, does, and then I think Aaron Gillespie says a little little cuss word in there of his solo album he just put out, and then um, we signed a new band called Civilian that's coming out, and uh, he has some choice words, and you know, for me, I personally don't have a a conviction if somebody has something to say, right? They have a thoughtful, mm-hmm. provocative lyric that they want to write, and it's part of their art, you know? I think that, like, you know, maybe, like, Nine Inch Nails lyrics or something, like, where it's just over the top or it's overtly, like, you know, maybe sexual or yeah. um, something, you know? I mean, there's a, there's a line to everything, right? So that being said, the these albums that are coming out this year I don't have a problem with. The only one, though, that I did advise against was Kings, Tyson works for me and goes, hey, they have a song and they dropped the F-bomb. And I listened to it and I was like, well, we'll put it out for sure. But they need to know that if they want to do that, they will not be in Christian bookstores. Uh-huh. And they'll probably get kicked off of some festivals. Right. And we'll probably sell a ton of digital singles of that. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you probably sell so more of the we'll do fine. And that's what's happening, right? And we'll do fine. They'll do fine on sales-wise. But I mean, you know, we're going to have like 360 out with these guys or anything. So it's like, it doesn't hurt us to do it. So it I said- It hurts you if they get kicked off a festival. No, right. but it, I mean, it might overall hurt their sales or something. But I mean, we've always wanted to have a creative process where, you know, yeah. obviously if somebody's a Christian radio artist and they said they wanted to do that, we wouldn't be on the same page because if you're going to be a, an artist that goes on Christian radio, you cannot do that. Like you just can't do it. But if you're Norma Jean, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Kings is interesting though because they have a praise and worship. Yeah, that's their background. fully evangelical that's background. Are, so yeah. that is controversial. Like Norma Jean is not that controversial. It's like they're a hardcore band. That's but even work through it. I would argue that even Norma Jean doing that now is like it's, it's. And I'm not trying to say it's cool or it's awesome, but it's like I mean, you just said you haven't had a year before where you had that many cuss words or or this issue come up that much or that often you know what i mean like it's it, it i recognize it as a trend and and a and something that's going on that is in the in the neighborhood of people being free and outspoken and empowered so i don't think i don't get off on the idea that ooh, so is it a cuss word it's not about that but the fact that it's popping up more and more and that somebody like you or the tooth and nail can even allow it is that's this is to me this is all progress this is people this is the 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 power of everybody collectively say no we can go new places we can do new things we can do something so to me it's all really exciting i know it's going to cause certain people pain money relationships or strength hey and, if, and by the way so if you know if if the king's guys want to do that and I go, Tyson, your job is, so our job at the label is to help support the artists. Uh We want to market them the best we can. They need to know, though, that in the Christian market, if they're going to drop the F-bomb and they have a praise and worship Mm -hmm. church background, that the least they should probably do is make an explanation for it. Uh And number two, they have to know that they need to be warned that that could cost them money. But if they believe in it, then great, go ahead and do it. I go, I told Tyson, you know, and I think Tyson was more worried than I was, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm the one paying for everything. So it's like, just, I mean, it is what it is. You know, they're great guys, they're incredible live. Like, what what do you uh, think about the track? What is the song? The use of the lyric? Do you have, I mean, can, do you have opinion on it? No, I mean, I think it's fine. I have no problem with it. Mm You know, people have. I'm, I'm you can never make I like the the song. I, I would be so dis. Like I heard the song early, 
And I would have been very disappointed. It, you know, I, Chad, he got a lot of counsel from a lot of people. He called me. This is what I want to do. This is what Tyson said. What do you think we should? He, you know, a bunch of people, and I asked him, "Well, what is people? What are people telling me? Whatever." And it was a lot of mixed stuff. But to me, I would have been really disappointed that that art could exist and be what it was and be a true expression for him, and then have there just be pseudo political reasons why you wouldn't say what you wanted to say because his conviction was really strong on why he wanted to say that. So I just felt like so yeah, you can't pull that. You got to go for it if that's what you feel like is the real lyric that you were trying to express. Yeah, there, you know? I mean, <clears throat> and some people on my staff are like, "Well, what happens if a Christian radio station like doesn't want to play one of our other artists because of this artist?" And I'm like. I think we're all past all that. I mean, it's I, like... That's, that's the exciting part. Maybe yeah, I go, I go... Stuff. So you mean to tell me right now, EMI Music and Sony Music own Provident and EMI. And mm-hmm. Universal EMI owns Capital Christian. Sony owns Provident. Warner Brothers, I believe, owns Word or Mike Curb. I don't know. You can't keep track. So you would then have to say that every top 40 hip-hop record that's just totally out of control lyrically or whatever, and he, you know... That's owned by Universal, right? So then that, you just trickle that down. So it's right. like, oh, I, well, yeah, we well, do. Oh, you know, like this hip hop artist that the yeah, same dude, company that defames women. Yeah, I mean, like if you follow that logic yeah. through, it's yeah. just crazy, you know. So to me, the King's album, it's like it's it's artistic, it's intellectual, it's um, groundbreaking, it's cutting edge. So great, I want to be a part of it. But I just, it's our job to educate them and say, just so you know, your album probably won't be in Christian bookstores. So then Tyson said, why don't we take that truck off and still have a physical CD in Christian bookstores? Mm-hmm. Which to me is almost more edgy, right? So we did do it, and some stores still banned it anyway because they heard about it. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> so funny. Well, so if you want to rewind all the way back to the 90s, I had my band Roadside Monument, and they had this song mm-hmm. called Sperm-Ridden Burden. And it was about how he never knew his dad, and he was a sperm-ridden burden. So we first put that CD out, and, we, and then we changed the title from Sperm Ridden Burden to like, like SRB, Sperm Ridden, yeah, it was SRB, sorry, I had to think about that. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. He's getting old. Yeah, SRB. Instead of saying Sperm Ridden Burden, just mm-hmm. cheese ball, like, oh no, it's Sperm Ridden Burden, and, you know. Well, it's like you're talking about sperms. Yeah, I mean, it's just stupid, right? But yeah. like, you know, it's just a conservative crowd or whatever. So back then it was kind of fun. You know, you're a little edgy. Tooth and yeah. was kind of edgy, right? Like it was like the youth group kid that like didn't want to be there, that like his mom let him buy this Tooth and Nail CD at the Christian bookstore mm-hmm. or whatever. So. Well, I'm going to say it's still edgy in the sense that you've got, you know, you're doing, you're, you're able to support without censoring somebody like King's Kaleidoscope and letting them make that decision. That's, Look, that's all. I have done. I have always told the artists where they're at. Look, if we're going to go to Christian radio, you can't do this, right? And if they said they did, it's like, well, why did we just sign in the first place, or where are we at? You know what I mean? But it's like if it makes sense and they know the repercussions of it. King says, look, we we lo- we love to be on Christian radio, but if they don't want to play us, it's not our focus. It's like a bonus, mm-hmm. so it's not their focus, right? Somebody like Jeremy Camp or Seventh Time Down, for one, I don't know if those guys would ever even cuss anyway. They're straight-laced guys, and that's right. right. And they have great ministries, and that's awesome. But it would hurt their career if they did that. Like, it would make course, no sense. Yeah. It's just not what they're doing. But King's is a whole different animal. It's kind of like a cool, like, kind of indie cred. Yeah, it's new. I mean, it's new. It's, a, yeah. it's groundbreaking. Yeah, it's kind of groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah right? They're like, I mean, it's, it's are, very God-focused, but so also like, edgy kind of. That's what's so not exciting really edgy, is yeah. people are going to take cues going forward from the bolt. That's what Tooth and Nail originally was. 
that's what the best stuff in the world is. It's when, oh, there's new stuff. Things are changing. People are going to take cues from the people that are doing new and different or yeah. groundbreaking stuff. So being a part of that, it's just, it's, it's just awesome. It's, it's yeah. exciting. So let me shift gears a little bit. I wanted to talk about just a few things as far as you being leader, organizational, entrepreneur, all those things too. I enjoyed the last conversation I had when I came over to your house and we talked about money and finance. I always think that's an interesting subject. Not that I have any money. I just like the subject of it a little bit. But um, I, w- I uh, was talking recently, had to fire somebody. You're doing pretty good. You have a band, 10 podcasts. Yeah. You got stuff going but on. I, all stuff that is of very, very little value though. So I, I'm very, I feel very rich in the influence I have and the the art that I get to create and stuff I do, but it, you know, m- none of it really translates to any real dollars. Like that's not really the world I'm in, but nonetheless, I find, I find leadership organ, you know, organizational stuff, setting the culture for a organization. Those things are, those things are interesting to me. That's the kind of the role that I usually gravitate toward. But, um, I was curious how you view like running your company and setting a culture, like, how do you view that? Do you take that seriously, or is it just a natural thing for you? Like, how do you deal with employees and set the tone of your organization? Um, it's all natural. I think right now... Because um, you've got a pretty <clears throat> stable organization. Like you said, Jim's your number two, Tyson. I mean, these people... Yeah, been Jim's been with me time. for... Well, he's been with me since day one, because I worked with him at Frontline Records. Before I went indie, and then when I went indie, he still consulted me because he worked on my distributor for three years. Mm-hmm. But he's been there for like 17 or 18 of the years for the label, and then he's always been in the background before that. And then Tyson's been with me for, I think, 16 years maybe. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, we've had a good little team. Since we left EMI and we've been indie, we've had almost no turnover. Yeah, your turnover is really low. Yeah, I think are happy to work for you. I know yeah. all of them. They're great. Yeah, I think the culture is good. I think it could be... I don't try to ever sit down and have a meeting and create culture, right? I don't, I'm just not really, I'm real hands off. So the team I have right now is making the new tooth and nail. I am involved, but I go through ebb and flows, right? Some days I won't come to the office for two or three days. You know, Brandon Ebel from 1993 until 2013 or 12. You used to be a control freak is what you're saying. Well, maybe a little bit. Yeah. You know, and now I've just let the reins go. And Tyson and Jim are running most of it. And um, Lauren, who runs my radio department, is incredible. And I have awesome people there. So, um, you know, I almost just killed myself working. And I'm, I'm, over, I'm over that. I'm, I'm letting it just go natural. Like, and just letting it flow. I think that they probably want more of me. Um, when I come in, I feel like, you know, I probably, I almost feel guilty, like I'm not in there yeah. enough, but I'm always working on my phone. I'm always on my laptop, wherever I am all over the world. Like I travel all over the place. I'm always dialed. I bet some of that guilt feeling that you have is, is in your head probably a little bit. A little bit. I think, I think they want more of me, but they also probably the days that I get on fire and start, Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, maybe we don't want more of him. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, I think, I, I think deep down, yeah. I mean, I'm like, well, you know, I'm I'm around less. They, they can, don't want you they to can, micromanage. They complain they that I'm not there enough. Yeah. But by the way, no one's quit when I'm not there. Yeah. Right. The turnaround. So it's like you yeah. can. I mean, when I'm I'm mean, there all the time, grinding everyone's will to live. People are like quitting and like you know, <laughs> not really. I mean, we also had 26 people versus nine. Right yeah. now, it's like a little family. You know, we, yeah. I sold my building on Queen Anne, and we got this cool space in Ballard, and 
I don't know. I love it. It's fun. You know, I mean, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I, I mean, can. But the more you would be involved, it just gets super micro then. And then, you know, then you're stepping onto people's toes and stuff like that anyway. So, the, I mean, the- I have employees right now, I'm not going to name names, that won't send me a music video after it's done. Sometimes I won't know about it until I get the solid state email. Mm-hmm. Or, Is that a good or feeling or a bad feeling, though? I don't like that. Like, and I'll text them, like, why don't you send me this? Or, and they'll be like, oh, I forgot. You know, because I'm like, you know, uh, and... That would have never happened right. the first 20 years. Like, I'm the first person to see everything, you know? But I also trust them. And, and here's the thing like, I'm, I want to I wanna separate. I want to have like a life where I could go to bed at night and maybe just not think about everything from one day. You know what I mean? So, to do that, like, I have to trust that they're making good decisions, you know, and they're, and they're making calls. And I'll find out about how a band melted, like, you know, a band broke down on the road and we fixed their tire. And then they were mad about the fact that their banner ad was wrong. And I'll find out about it like a month later, like, which is a relief because it's like. It's, it was okay. It, it all worked out. Sorted, I didn't have to worry about it. You know, I mean, it just all worked out one way yeah. or the other. Maybe it didn't work out as good as it could. Maybe it worked out better. I mean, I don't really know, but like, it's like, it, that doesn't mean that I'm not working all the time. Well, it's a different of your of the scope of what, of what you're doing because I mean I have the same problem. Like, well, I don't know if it's a problem. I think it's probably a good way. I think what is important is to like you get in there and you manage every detail, not because you're the only person that could do it or manage it, but because you are interested and you're learning it. So when you develop a new system or break new ground or figuring out something new, you really do want to know every detail about it. Like, why wouldn't you want to? And then once some things are established, you can look farther down the road and let other people do this. And so I mean, you have to always push and pull from what you're ultra involved in and what you're not. But hopefully the thing you're ultra micro involved in is the newest thing and the future thing and the down the road thing. Right. So my old my old thing right now is like we're like we're like let's move in this direction or that you know bigger bigger picture, mm-hmm. and so you know uh, I'm going to fly out to Spokane this Friday for one day. I'm flying there and back in the same day for a new event that we're involved with, and I'm going to meet with a couple artists we're talking to because they're going to be there, and I'm going to meet with them. But I don't want to be their day to day person. I don't want to like I'm trying to do bigger picture stuff only mm-hmm. and. I have Tyson and Jim, and my staff's awesome, and I believe in them. And you know what? It might cost me a bunch of money, but I also could. We could also make more money because they could have an idea that I would have thwarted, and I don't know everything. So it's like, you know, one thing I've always tried to do with Tooth and Nails: try to hire people that are better than me. Like Tyson is better. Sounds like a, well, if you were insecure, you wouldn't be able to do it, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am the thing. You, I am you, not insecure, but I mean. I don't. I mean, there's so many examples of people that you hear about. These guys that can run their record label, or or not even record label, any business, and they only they want to be better than everyone. Like, I only want to hire people better. Smart. I'm Lauren is better than me at radio. You know, Tyson is better than me at marketing. Jim is better at doing our back end than I will ever be. Great. And and. When I have hired people in the past, I try to hire people that are better than me too. And so what I've usually done is I've either hired somebody that's higher level that is better than me, or I've hired interns that worked at our company yeah. for a year for free. And then they, and like John done, awesome. and some have turned out incredible. Yeah. Like, so that's kind of always been my philosophy. I mean, I have like, I remember at one point at the height of the company, we had 26 employees, half of them had no college degrees. The other half were all 
two people from USC, for mm-hmm. example, like Pac-12, Pac-12, you know, big schools. And it was like whatever fit our 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 mold, our family. But I never like defined that family or that mold. It, it kind of presented itself. Uh-huh. I remember I had made a couple bad hires where the person came in that had worked at like you know oh, a boy. corporate job like Amazon. And Did you have to like, fire them. Yeah, because it's tell, like tell me about because your- they they weren't self starters because they couldn't survive in our weird culture yeah. of work. Like we were all like kind of crazy workaholics and like. They were waiting for more structure. Like you must tell me to do this now, and we're like, we already did. Tell well, me, tell me your philosophy on how to fire somebody. Well, I'm not. I haven't done that for a while, so it's been years. But how do you? Think I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I talk about it because we've had to fire a lawyer. I mean, you know, especially in the band, it's not the same as employees because they're people that work for you. But firing people is always this thing that's so you just don't want to do it. But you got to do it when you got to do it, and it's just the weirdest thing because. So in the nineties, I nice. in the nineties I fired people all the time because I was a kid. I was 24, 23, 24, 25, you know, whatever, and I would let people go. Like, you know, I had no human resources input. Like, you know, and then when I sold to EMI, if I let someone go, I had like steps. Yeah, because I was partly owned by a major corporation, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Here's a sheet to read from." I'm like, I'm not going to read from a sheet. They would say, let's role play. I mean, it was wild. But does it, does it, uh, is it hard for you to fire somebody? Absolutely. Yeah. It's always, it's always hard. Absolutely. And I haven't fired anybody in years. Like it's been a long time. So, I mean, in the old days we would lay people off cause EMI would be like, we're letting three people go. Yeah. Well, team. that's different when you run out of budget from your big corporate overlord that you just have. I'm to, like, wow. Had that happen before? Well, we actually kicked ass this year and we uh, sold this many records. They're like, but you didn't make your number that we gave you. It's oh, like, that's, Whoa. that's terrible. I've never really thought about that, but you had to fire. That's like, wait, let me go. So this number that you made for us, that last year would have been double what we did the year before, uh-huh. but now it's the new standard. So now you have we have to have a penalty. So I'm going to lay off somebody who's like that a you didn't even my- want. That it. It wasn't it wasn't because of poor performance. It's just you had to make three cuts. Or- well, it was poor performance because I didn't make as much as they wanted. Yeah, but that's not. But the tooth and nail from the '90s would have been stoked to make any money, right? Yeah. So we were like, great. And by the way, our staff was totally less than like you know. Oh yeah, I mean, well, I'm saying yeah, we had twenty something people. We were selling tons of records, millions yeah. of records yeah, at, yeah. at ten and sixteen dollars. Yeah. You got twenty six employees. That's amazing. Like that, what a boom that was. Yeah, it was good. That, it's it was awesome, good run, and it's, so. that things are still going super good. What is the other stuff you're doing now that's not music? What else do you fill up your time with? Because you you do other stuff for for business and entrepreneurship. Yeah, well, I have three kids, and they're in all kinds of sports, right? Football, mm-hmm. soccer, cheerleading, gymnastics, unicycle, the list goes on. So I'm real involved with them. And then I um, am real involved in real estate. I have um, came up with this. I, I'm, in, I, I'm in with a group of guys that we started some micro-apartments, so they're, oh. like, they're like mini apartments, and um, that's gone really well. And then I am involved with three different restaurants, uh, one in Tacoma and two in Seattle, and um, those are all going great because the economy is good, you know. So those are going awesome. And then I've done some other kind of real estate ventures as well. Is real estate and restaurants easier than music? Well, real estate's easier. Restaurants, I'm just more like the behind the scenes guy. Uh-huh. But I would say, I would actually say, watching restaurants go, I would say that's very difficult. Yeah, restaurant. Yeah, you're right. That, I mean, so I sit there and complain that I have ten employees and I'm doing this record label and this is very difficult or whatever. And there's all these artists and emotional. But I mean, 
running a restaurant, you can have 30 employees and you can make as much money as like, you know, it's crazy. And there's like people that don't show up and like, you got to get a different bartender and a different server. And I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. The management aspect is way it's intense for yeah. restaurants. I'm sure. Yeah. Restaurants is one. I guess restaurants is similar to music in the sense that there's so many people that are like it's competitive in the sense that like, uh, and music is this way. It's just like well, everybody wants to be in it. I mean, there's people that will work for free and bust their ass and and do music forever. Like there's bands that are trying. They're never going to make any money, but they're literally my direct competitors and and for this or that you know kind of thing and restaurants same way everybody wants to have a bar in a restaurant so it's there's people that would just right so i'm in an investor yeah so i i want to make sure that everyone knows i don't manage a restaurant but i'm an investor in restaurants Mm -hmm. and they always say that's the worst investment investment restaurants because there's a lot they go out of business like crazy all the time yeah but the ones that i'm invested in are doing great so i mean i don't know (laughs) but i mean what's the trick on it I just restaurant good food I've invested with guys that have done location what is it it's definitely location Uh it's definitely food it's everything you have to be a hit it perfect Uh but the guys that I've invested in and that I'm working with are vets that are like this is their like seventh restaurant right so it's I mean I'm not I am just a pure investor, but it's gone good. It's like gone really well. Well, you, you, last time, I mean, if it's 2008 again, maybe you know I'll get yeah, on the, go, I'll could, be crying on the podcast. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, you gave me some advice one time that I really, really like, and it was something along the lines of, it's something that that resonated really well with me. It was, it was like, uh, it's not. You should really only invest in things that you are involved with. Not like put your money in some other person's company or take somebody else's pitch and try to get rich off of that. This is like bet on yourself. Right. I mean, and for me, just talking to you that day when you're at my house, is that when we talked about it? Yeah, that was last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were somebody, and you mentioned to me, you go, it seems like everything I do, mostly the stuff I do, it does okay. Like you guys decided, I don't know who officially started Emory, but you were one of them, right? And that did really good. Now you're doing Bad Christian, you know, which I thought the name Bad Christian was silly. <laughs> I remember there, John Dunn was like, they're going to do this thing, Bad Christian, and it was starting up. And I was like, I just think that's a dumb name. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what do I know? I also thought it was stupid when Ludacris changed the name to Norma Jean, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I will be the first person to tell you I don't know everything at all. Like, I t- truly don't. I've been, I've had some sweet hits and I've had some sweet misses. But you have. You have, you have a, a talent, so I think, I mean, I don't know if, what we're supposed to talk about on this thing, but like Fun you came thing. over to my house one day, and we had a couple cocktails, and you were like, I have some money now, I've made some money, what should I do with it? And I'm thinking to myself, like, invest in yourself. Yeah. So most of the money that I've made after Tooth & Nail and during Tooth & Nail was usually betting on myself. I've invested in all kinds of stuff where someone's like, will you put money into this app? And I do it, and I lose. Yeah. Right? Or will you do this or that, you know? And I lose. So where I've made my money is, of course, the record labels. And then when I've done other stuff, the real estate deals I've done where I am directly owning part of it and I'm involved in it, or these restaurants where I know the the guy that I'm investing with and I'm part of it, mm-hmm. I've done okay. You know, There's no guarantees in anything. But where I've lost all my money is when they're like, hey, a friend of mine has this new yes, thing he's doing idea. in Texas <laughs> and it's going to be huge. And I'm like, I'll put some money in that. I mean, he'll run it like I ran tooth and nail, right? You can trust this guy. No, you can't. Like, I mean, or maybe you could, but 
I mean, I think it was Warren Buffett that said, don't ever invest in anything you don't understand. So if you, someone says there's some new fund and you put your money in and it's this thing, if you don't read about it or understand it, don't do it. Yeah. You know, for all your listeners that have come the money, you inherited money or you made a bunch of money or you got your first big job or whatever, like just be careful with your money because you paid the taxes, you have the money, it's your money. <laughs> so yeah. now you don't want to lose it, right? Uh, so, other people want it. Yeah. That, so just make your decisions with it. So like, and I would still give you that advice right now. Like you're doing like multiple podcasts and you're doing your band and you're doing well. And it's like, you know, markets come and go and you know, you just have to be careful. You yeah. know what I mean? There's no crystal ball for any of it. No, I've certainly not. But the thing is when you, I've made tons of bad decisions, but I've also made a lot of home run decisions and yeah, well the, the ones that, that you understand and that you're involved with or that you even have that moment where you have the drive to be micromanagey. If you, if you can find something that you have that passion for so strong, you're more likely to make good decisions with it, and you're probably throughout that thing going to increase your human capital. You're going to, you know, getting into podcasting or learning how band stuff works or record label stuff works. I became interested in it, and then I work on it harder because it's a genuine interest. And then naturally, the decisions are going to be better. So my money would always be better put into that. Or and and it's not like I'm not a guy with a bunch of money making big investments. I just I invest a lot of time in things that I think will pay. So off. I've gone through yeah uh, defer yeah. like I, I'm constantly deferring. Um, this is what I'm always doing. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm not working with big sums of money, but I'm constantly deferring paying myself because I believe. Right, and then that usually works out. So I put, I sold half my company, no one, two months before nine eleven. Put it all in the stock market, and then I lost like forty percent of it because. Oh my god! Yeah, it crashed right, um, but it all came back. But the Nasdaq never came back for sixteen years, fifteen years, like from oh one to like two thousand and fourteen or fifteen. Uh -huh. From there, you know what I mean? I mean the Dow did and you know so to me it's like if you're going to do blind investing like going in the stock market then you should diversify you know do a you know buy many many stocks in know? different industries and stuff yeah yeah and but I think in America everyone's like oh if you just put money in the stock market you make 7% a year well it's like long term historically you do but you could go down 50% one year so that has to be money you are willing not to touch for a long time you know Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful. And um, I don't know. I kind of like m my grandfather gave me the loan of 60 grand to start Tooth and Nail. Like he was How much was it? 60,000 60 bucks. Grand yeah, yeah. He was an electrician. and Wow. 60 grand. He had an eighth grade degree. He work to start Tooth and Nail. That's a well, loan. he worked, though, till he was 90. He retired, uh, but he never really retired. He kept doing gigs. Wow. And, like, and he died, you know. With a good amount of money in the bank, with an eighth grade degree, like, and he was, went through the Great Depression and everything else, and he worked his butt off, you know. And I probably made more money than he did after like a few years from his loan he gave me. I mean, but my whole point is, is like, you just have to like, if you if you make some money, like, invest in yourself. That's what I think. Like, yeah. be but, careful. But you're also going to get skill and knowledge in addition to what you invest in. Put it this way: Let's say you made fifty thousand dollars. I don't, I mean, that might be a crazy number, and some of your listeners are like, I don't have 50 grand, but hypothetically, if somebody can make, save $50,000, you know, instead of like investing in your like dad's friend's brother's company that he just started or something, why not like, you know, try to get a rental property and be right there next to it and fix it up yourself and touch it, you know? Yeah. I mean, 
that way, if you lose the money, you can at least sleep at night knowing that it was your fault. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I've invested in so many things where it's like, what? Like, I mean, I had nothing to do with it. I just handed somebody my money and they were like, told me a bunch of lies. And then, you know. Yeah. So what's wrong with like, you know, the money you make from memory doing your podcast and then maybe you do a rental property or maybe you do whatever. I'm just saying yeah. like, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just giving you my advice and it's like, there's no easy answer at all. No, I like so. it. It's interesting to think about. What are you going to do for your next 30 years? If you have two, th- listen oh to me. Oh my gosh. Like you got a ways to go still. I mean, what are you going to, what do you want to do? Hmm. What else do you want to accomplish in your next 30 years here? Um, you, you'll probably live longer than 30. I'm not, you know, giving you a death sentence at whatever that would be, 80, 70 years old or whatever. But what, what do you want to, like you've, you've been able to accomplish a whole bunch of stuff. Good, right? Your first half of your life went well, right? Yeah. All right. What do you want to do next? Well, I want to keep putting out records. Uh huh. I've always thought I wanted to put out a thousand records. A thousand? Yeah. Do you know how many you've put out? I don't know the exact number. Jim, I got to text Jim. Jim will know. He knows every number. I think probably, I think we probably put it out about 700 and something. Uh huh. I'm not saying, by the way, I'm going to quit at a thousand, but that is kind of like that'd be a good number. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. You know what I mean? I, I feel really good about everything I've done so far. And I feel like when I don't put pressure on myself to do more, I am happier and I feel like things just kind of come naturally. You know, in 08, 09, 07, 06, I was killing myself to perform for EMI. Universal. Were you unhappy? I was very unhappy. Yeah. And I'm happy now. You know, it's fun to put out records. I mean, I just love music, and I love putting out what records. What did you feel in oh, that time when you were unhappy? You were unhappy because why? What, did you, what were you feeling then? Well, I was just feeling like that when Tooth & Nail started in 90, you know, 90, 92, 93, 94, you know, that whole era. Like, it was just purely about putting out cool bands. And then it became, in 01 and 02, it became like, it was fun. It was let me start over. So 93 through the 90s, it was like the time of my life, right? It, like, we made a brand that was changing people's lives, and it was cool, right? And then near the end of the 90s, it got, the, the, there became some drama, got weird, and then I sold half the company to EMI. And then after that, it was good till like 06, because we were kind of the golden child. We totally reinvented the wheel. We were crushing it, signed all these amazing bands, and it was fun. And then in, from 2006 to 2011, it became a strain because the big corporation was like, how come you can't keep growing the company? And it's like, well, I've grown it a thousand percent. You know what I mean? It just built yeah. into this thing where I stopped doing the music for music's sake and I was doing it to like... Prove numbers and yeah, like you, pressure. You, and- yeah, and I had 28 employees, and which is, by the way, is not a lot. I mean, there's people who have companies with thousands of employees, but I knew them all and they were in my family. And yeah. You know, you're hiring all these people, and you're trying to make it work, and you're trying to build, and like the focus got off music. That is, it's also harder because it's not only like think about all the relationships you had then. So you maybe had 28 employees, but you had to deal with me and Tim from Under Oath. I mean, those those are relationships that I mean, just you and Tim alone right, just- <laughs> would consume the time of any other human being. Right. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know what I mean. Like yeah. you, you may have had 28 employees, but the people that were in your reach of actual relationships that mattered, people you had to negotiate with day in and day out. That was that's that was hundreds of people. Yeah, that, that it mattered what you thought and felt every day. So yeah. so a lot bigger than twenty eight people. Yeah. Oh, it was massive. You know, I mean, in two thousand and five or six, we put out 
50 albums and sold three or four million records. So yeah. there's a lot of pressure, you know. And then I had a, we had our first kid, you know, and there's just a lot of stuff. So it was, um, I mean, it was a great time, though, of course, as well. But, you know. So moving forward, I know that sounds crazy. I don't really have a goal. I, I don't really have a goal. I know I'll never be bored. And I will always be up to something. And that's good. Yeah. Who is you know how many people out there just like, what What do you want to do next? Or are you, you know, they just don't. Well, I'm doing tooth and nail still, though. Yeah. But it was funny. I was like, I'm so relaxed and I just don't work that hard. Sometimes I feel guilty for not working as hard. I'm like going to the gym and doing this or that. And then then I was starting to think about it. And I'm like, well, I'm doing like 10 real estate deals. And we're putting out like 20 something records this year. And we just had like mm-hmm. two records that, Last week, you know, Norma Jean and Artifacts just were top two of the top loud top ten, and Billboard top one hundred and fifty, and like you know, yeah. we're still still totally doing it. So when I sit back and think about it, it's like I'm doing tons of stuff with it's, less effort. So highly efficient. That's well, good. I'm leaning on my guys, yeah, right. But that's still uh, the, that's still the efficiency of the system that you built. Yeah, I mean, it, the and fact it's, that it's efficient isn't something to be you know what I mean? It's something to be proud. Right, of. and I think that in the two thousands, like I. You doing could less have, work with really good. I effort. could have been more efficient, but I I had too much pressure from the the, the man. Yeah, and I wanted to. And by the way, I wanted to make them happy. So are you you glad both ways? You glad you sold to them and glad you got out, or do you wish you never did? That is a trick question. It's not. I mean, I mean there's no right, right or wrong answer. I'm just curious. Like, so I I could have done. I did not need EMI to do anything that I've done. Like they all they did was my accounting and my back end. But oh, so you could have just kept all the money and made even more than they paid. and had a staff of fifty people and you know, like they they didn't do they didn't land you any of the bands you got not one or anything like that. So if not you one. had simply stuck it out, you would have eclipsed the sum of money that. They but I will say this: that I don't know if I would have done that though because I was so micromanaging everything. Yeah. That once they took the burden of doing all the royalties, accounting. Uh, legal yeah. dealing with all the managers on the legal level, I became creative again uh-huh. and excited again. And then I crushed it. So maybe good both ways. It's a good thing that you sold and a good thing that you got it back. Yeah. I mean, no one really knows, right? Yeah. It's like, of course, if I look back and look how many records we sold, it's like, you're like, whoa, I obviously wish I would have never sold it. Duh. But like, at the same time, that doesn't mean that it wasn't necessarily a good move. I mean, I don't want to get hyper spiritual, but like, God has a plan, and everything that's happened's happened, and every decision I've made, uh-huh. and that you've made, and everyone's made, this has been happened. <laughs> I always remind myself of that when I'm like, well, I wish this wouldn't happen or that wouldn't happen. But it did. Yeah. And that's it. There is no other answer. It's like, I, you know what I mean? There is mm-hmm. no other answer. Once you're at where you're at, you're at where you're at. Yeah. Think about that. It's such a basic thought, but it's true. It's like people, it, like, you can... Go back and think about how, like, you know what I mean? You can go back and look at your life and say, I wish I didn't do this, or took that girl to prom, or wish my parents didn't get divorced, or I wish this didn't happen. But it did. And that's where you are now, and there's nothing you can do about it. So move on. Like, move forward. Yeah. You might as well take it as the best thing that could have happened is the worst. You wouldn't even know the difference either way. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you don't have access to the knowledge that that thing that happened was bad or good in the large, in the long run. You really don't know. So I will say this. When you say what's going to happen in the next 30 years, I want to have fun. I want to be efficient. I want to like use my time for good. And I, I, I don't want to sit around and play Xbox in my basement or something all day. Though I do like playing video games with my son. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I want to have 
I don't want to set crazy goals and be like hyper corporate guy moving mm-hmm. forward. I just don't want to do it. Well, some people do that. Some people that when they are successful, they're only driven by the, the larger number or the bigger thing. I'm over that, it. I'm so good. over it. And I and like the last years, I've had a great run in business and I've put no pressure on myself. I'm like, whatever happens, happens. It's all good. And it's like I'm doing well, like in all all facets. So I just feel like to me, it's like, you know, I don't know. There's no formula for any of it, but you know, I'm putting God, trying trying to put God first and put my kids first and do the best I can do. So it's, you know, there you go. I don't know. Maybe edit that out. <laughs> no, that's it. I like it. I like it. I like that's the real thing. That's where you're at. Thank you, Brandon. This is I'm all good with this. That's all. All right. Hey, man. Thanks here. for having me on the show. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. It's playing. What up? <laughs> You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. JabberjawMedia.com. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.